should be for the listeners that are 18 years of older as each episode may contain strong adult language and descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature that were told to me by the victims of the crimes or the criminals who perpetrated the crimes against the victims please use this as your warning thank you Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. I'm Woody Overton, and I'll be your host. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to give a shout out to all the people who have subscribed and listened to our first episode, which we released last Friday, and the response has been overwhelming. We really appreciate each and every one of you that have taken the time to listen to the podcast and leave us comments and responses, and it's just been awesome. Uh, We now have listeners from coast to coast in the United States, the continental United States, including Hawaii and Alaska, and we have listeners from around the world, Ireland, England, all across the United Kingdom, Mexico, Brazil, South Korea, South Africa, a large following in Australia. We have New Zealand, just Germany, just too many countries to list, but we really, really appreciate each and every one of you and taking the time to listen. It's just been awesome and motivates me to continue to tell these stories. And I also want to give a shout out to 1096 Crime Chicks, the the true crime podcast and their host Amy who reached out to me and and we spoke this week and I've got to listen to their podcast very interesting stuff y'all if you get a chance give it a listen but that being said again we appreciate each and every one of you and let's get started today we're going to be talking about two murders committed allegedly by the same perpetrator these are the murders of Nelson Henson Jr. who's 33 year old white male from Southern Livingston Parish that's in South Louisiana. And remember, in Louisiana, we we are geographically defined by parishes and, and not counties like the rest of the United States. So, so Nelson Henson is from uh, South Livingston Parish, which is a, uh, geographically, it's basically almost swampland. The second murder is that of Mario Canessa, and he was from uh, the suburbs of New Orleans. And so when... 
January the 25th, 2007, I was working as a detective with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And I was actually off duty. It was a Friday. I remember it. I was at home and I got the call from one of the detectives who was working a case on a missing person, that uh, missing person being Nelson Henson Jr. And they called me in and said, hey, Woody, look, we've been working this case on Nelson Henson, who's been missing for a week. And we have a guy that, that's a suspect, and we've arrested him on a narcotics charge, and would like you to come in and talk to him and see what you can find out about the case. So I drove to the town of Livingston, the Livingston Parish Courthouse, where my office was located. And my office was separate from the regular detective's office. It, it also doubled as my polygraph uh, exam room, and I am a state licensed and board certified polygraphist, not to be confused with polygamous, because although I love my wife dearly, I certainly don't want more than one of her. I was the first polygraphist ever for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. So I went to my office and met Detective Ben Bourgeois, uh, a good, strong Cajun name, Bourgeois, and he came in and told me facts of the case as he knew him up to this point. And what happened was Nelson Henson Jr. had gone missing the week prior, uh, on, I believe on January the 19th. He was at the Bayview Bar and Tavern, which is a local establishment on the waterfront. It's just a small swamp bar, if you will. And it's, it's in Southern Livingston Parish, and it sits on Coyell Bay. It's right at the foot of a bridge, and it's a big gravel parking lot. On the other side of the bridge is the Amy River. So it sits right where the Amy River meets Coyell Bay. And uh, Nelson Henson had been at the bar with his friend, Chris Allen David Hunt, who went by Chris. And they had been drinking, and uh, actually they were roommates at the time also and had been for about a month. But they were drinking, and witnesses were reported that Chris Hunt sold Nelson Henson Jr. some Xanax and and that they got into an altercation with each other in the bar and went outside and got into a fist fight. And there were many witnesses that saw the fist fight. Somebody called the cops and the nearest responding agency was uh, the town of French Settlement Police Department, which is a very, very small town, no red lights or anything like that. Basically, just a small, small community, and usually they only had one officer on duty at a time. And even though the Bayview Tavern was covered by the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, the when the 911 call came in, the closest officer to respond, uh, because Southern Livingston Parish is so rural, was the French Settlement Police Department. And the witnesses stated as they heard the sirens coming, uh, towards the Bayview Tavern that everybody went back inside and uh, that night was the last time anybody saw Nelson Henson or Chris Allen David Hunt. So Bourgeois said that Chris Hunt had been living with Nelson Henson on his couch for approximately a month since Hunt's wife had kicked him out of the house. Henson was nice enough to let him stay on his couch and he said that even though they had witnesses to the fights no one had seen Henson since and Hunt they questioned brought him in to question him about it and he said Hunt was a really stoic and, and non-emotional about it and Hunt had been still at Henson's apartment for the week that Henson had been missing and 
driving back and forth to work in New Orleans every day, uh, but didn't seem concerned that Henson was, was missing. And he said that they arrested him on the the drug charges, not because they weren't true, but, but basically they wanted to get him in and question him about Henson's disappearance. And that during the questioning, Henson just said, I don't know anything about it, haven't seen him. I left him at the Bayview after the fight when we heard the cops coming. I got in my truck and I left and I drove to the town of Livingston to the gas station that was open at the time. It was called the Superstop. Uh, He said, I bought a Mountain Dew and and some cigarettes and I went home. Never saw him again, never heard from him. And he said, Detective Bourgeois told me, he said, Woody, this guy's tough nut to crack. But we asked him, would he take a polygraph? And he said, yes. So I told Detective Bourgeois, I said, look, I'm going to play it like this. You know, y- y'all have already gone at him pretty hard. And he said, yeah, we, we cranked it up on him pretty good. And he didn't give us any response. He just sat there, et cetera. It wouldn't change his story. And we even gave him the out of, you know, it could have been some type of accident, et cetera. And he won't budge. And I said, well, bring him in and we'll do the old classic good cop, bad cop. I said, bring him in in handcuffs and I'll take it from there. I told Bourgeois that I would turn on the baby microphone. That's what we had at the time. We didn't have any closed-circuit television or anything like that. We literally had a baby monitor. I think it was a Mattel baby monitor, um, which I kept the speaker part in my office, and they would sit in the other detective's office and listen to any interviews that I did. So I I turned the microphone on, and... He brought Hunt to my office in, in the handcuffs, et cetera. And I, t- I told him, I said, why is he in handcuffs? And Detective Bourgeois said, because he's under arrest for narcotics distribution. I said, well, I mean, you bring him to me for a polygraph and take the handcuffs off of him. This is ridiculous. I don't understand why you're doing this. Why are you treating this guy like this when you know I'm about to interview him and give him a polygraph if he even consents to the polygraph? Detective Bourgeois took the cuffs off and left the room. And I shut the door and I told Hunt to have a seat. And I introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm Woody Overton. I'm a detective uh, here for the sheriff's office. But I'm also a polygraphist. And I said, I want you to know, first of all, I don't have anything to do with this case, Mr. Hunt. I said, I don't care what you do or have done or haven't done, et cetera. I said, what you have to do today is be 100% truthful with me, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not sitting in judgment on you. And if you if you did something to this, this guy that's missing, then... We'll, we'll figure it out. I said, if you didn't and you and you tell me you didn't do it, then I'm going to believe you 100% unless when we get done taking the polygraph, the instrument shows otherwise, and then we can talk about that. I said, but I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't get more money if you pass the polygraph or if you even take the polygraph. And I said, but I'm, I don't want to be crude, but I don't care. And he's just kind of sat there looking at me. And Hunt was, I'd say he's close to six feet tall. He was skinny, kind of plain looking, nothing remarkable about him. And But he he had a stare, a look on his face. And, you know, I have hundreds of thousands of hours of interview and interrogation, and I'm watching him, reading his body language, et cetera. He wasn't being defensive. He didn't cross his arms or look away from me when I was talking to him or anything like that. He just sat there kind of like a bump on the log, like he really wasn't concerned about anything. So I told him, I said, Mr. Hunt, I said, can I call you Chris or, or what do they call you? I know your name's Chris Allen, David Hunt, but what do they call you? And he said, they call me Chris. And I said, can I call you Chris? He said, yeah. 
you can call me Chris. I said, all right. So I told him, you can call me Woody. I said, we're going to be here for a while. And I want you to to know that this is a non-custodial interview on my part. I said, I'm, you know, I'm not here to try to trick you or anything like that. And you're, you're not under arrest by me. I said, in fact, you have polygraph rights. And under Louisiana law, you have to give me permission to give you the polygraph test. I said, and those polygraph rights are, you don't have to answer any questions that you don't want to answer. You can stop the polygraph. If you choose to take the polygraph, you can stop it at any time. You can text, say, hey, I'm not taking the polygraph. I said, they can't do anything to you for refusing to take the polygraph. And he just sat there looking at me. And so I told him, I said, listen, if, if you can... My advice to you is if you can pass this test, take the test. If you can't pass it, don't take it with me because you're not going to cheat me and you're not going to beat me. Um, and he just sat there looking at me. I said, so, I mean, do you want to take the test? And he said, yes. So I took out the uh, um, polygraph rights form, which explained everything to him. And then a, a standard Miranda, Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office Miranda rights form and consent or answer question form. And we went over everything and he signed and, and said that he understood. And he gave me permission to begin to conduct the polygraph examination. And so I asked him, you know, we went through the beginning part, who I was and, and some, then I start to ask him about himself in the pretest interview. And I said, tell me about yourself, man. And he said, well, I'm Chris Hunt. And, I said, and I said, I mean, you know, are you married? He said, I was married, or I guess I'm tech, technically I'm still married. He said, my wife kicked me out about a month ago. I said, okay, and where'd you go? And I said, you know what? I said, Chris, let's just do it like this. Paint it for me like a movie. Tell me why I'm here, because I, I act like I don't know anything, because basically I don't. So you tell me why I'm here, and then we'll take it from there. And he said, okay. He said, my wife kicked me out about a month ago, and Nelson Henson was has been a long-term friend of mine, and I went to him and asked him, could I stay at his place, and he said yes, and he said, so I've been sleeping on his couch for a month, and I said, well, do you work, and he said, yes, I work. He said, I'm, I'm a ship welder, and I said, well, ship welders make good money. I said, yeah, you haven't gotten your own place yet, and he said, no. I'm saving up my money. Uh, um, I said, but you do make good money, right? And I said, but where, where do you work? And he said, I work at the Avondale Shipyard on the other side of New Orleans. I said, okay. I said, well, what I know about uh, that type of welder, you, it, it's a good craft, it's a good trade, and you make good money. He said, yeah, I, actually, I do make good money. So I travel around the world. And I just got back a couple months ago from Aruba where I was welding there um, for about six months. I said, okay, so... You're staying at, at Nelson's house, and, and what happens? He said, well, we went to the Bayview um, last Friday night, and we were having drinks and everything, and I wanted to leave, and Nelson didn't want to leave, and so we, we got into an argument, and I told him, let's go outside and fight. And then he said, we went outside, and we, we fist fought in the parking lot until we heard the sirens coming from the police car coming uh, down the highway, and he said, no, I didn't want to get in trouble. And he said, so I jumped in my truck and I left. He said, that's the last time I saw Nelson Henson. I said, okay. Well, yeah, that's simple enough. I said, so the polygraph, 
is is pretty straightforward. You know, so I'm gonna need to ask you a couple of relevant questions to determine whether or not you're being truthful about uh, leaving Nelson Henson at the at you know, at the bar. I said I can't ask you. Um, did you hurt Nelson Henson because you already said that y'all were in a fist fight and the purpose of getting in a fist fight with someone is to cause them pain no matter how temporary. I said, so the, the first relevant question, it might sound kind of harsh, but it's really why you're here and what the detectives want to know. And the, that question will be, did you kill Nelson Henson? And he said, no. I said, all right. And I said, the second relevant question will be, in addition, it's just a little add-on to the first relevant question. And that question will be, did you kill Nelson Henson that night at the Bayview Tavern? And he said, no. I said, all right. And there's only one more relevant question that I need to ask you, Nelson. I mean, uh, Chris, I said, that is... Do you know for sure where Nelson Henson is now? And he said, no, I don't. So I said, okay, that are those questions fair? Do you think they're fair and, and, and just for me to ask you that? And he said, yes. I said, you know, I, I want you to understand I'm not trying to trick you or anything like that. I, mean, I agree those are fair and just questions and those are that's the reason basically why you're here for a polygraph and he kept sitting there just looking at me with his dead blank stare on his face and so i asked him i said nelson i mean not nelson i kept calling him nelson and i, I was kind of doing that on purpose to try to get a reaction out of him to judge it when i'd say his name right because i'm through my experience if you can uh, bring the victim back and foremost into the perpetrator's mind that they kill. Generally, they'll show some uh, facial emotions or something if they have any remorse. So I said, Chris, I said, do you, did you believe me when I tell you that, you know, I'm here working for you to clear you on this polygraph and this is not some kind of trick? And he sat up and he lifted both his arms up and outstretched towards me and he put his fists together. And tattooed across his fingers, and I'll never forget it, tattooed across his fingers were trust no one on each of his knuckles. T-R-U-S-T-N-O-O-N-E. And he put them together and like almost in my face. And I was like, what are you trying to tell me, brother? I mean, he said, I don't trust anybody i trust no one that's the motto i live by i said okay i get that you know I said, it takes all kinds of people to make the world go around you don't trust anyone fair enough i said but i'm not going to ask you any surprise questions etc on this test and and i'm not here to harm you i'm just here to get to you know to clear you if you're innocent and and get you past this and he said, okay. And so I went through the explanation of how the polygraph works, uh, off your body's physiology, et cetera, uh, and we reviewed the rest of the questions on the test. And then I attached them to the instrument. And uh, I asked him the questions. I did what we call charts. I did three separate charts. Well, I would ask the questions once, 
and it would stop and take a break because he had the blood pressure cuff on his arm and it'd be a little tight. And that's why I'd let that artery rest for a moment. And before I asked the questions the second time, I would readjust my uh, instrument to whatever his body's physiology was doing, or basically to balance out his nerves. Because as the test goes along, he would either get more or less nervous depending on whether or not he was telling the truth. Then I asked the questions the second time and that took the break. And then I asked the questions the third time and then I stopped uh, and, and I concluded the test. Why? And I told him in the pretest, I said, look, I don't score it as it's going along. I'm simply th- making sure the charts are staying tr- uh, straight and that you're not trying to cheat, et cetera. Well, I lied to him. You know, I, I've done thousands of polygraph tests and I could do the math on uh, the results as the charts are actually going along. But I tell examinees that I don't score as it's going along so they're not sitting there trying to look at me and see if I'm making any type of facial expressions uh, when they make answers to the relevant questions. So I called Detective Bourgeois and I had him take him out for a few minutes and I sat down and I did put a hand score on it and he failed miserably or, or showed deception indicated to all three of the relevant questions and including did you kill Nelson Henson or did you kill Nelson Henson at the Bayview Lounge that night and do you know where he is where Nelson Henson is now for sure and so I told Detective Bourgeois and I said, look, I'm going to do my post-test interview and, and try to get something out of him. So I had him bring Hunt back in. I sat him down and I said, look, buddy. I said, straight up and honest, you failed and you failed miserably. And he just sat there and he looked at me. I said, there's no doubt in my mind that you killed Nelson Henson Jr. And that no doubt in my mind that you killed Nelson Henson Jr. that night. And there's no doubt in my mind that you know where Nelson Henson Jr. is now. I said, on all three of those relevant questions, you showed huge deception indicated uh, to in, in your responses to the, the questions. I said, your body doesn't lie. You know, I, just like I told you in the pretest when I was explaining how the polygraph worked, et cetera, there, there is no lie detector in this room. All this is is an instrument with some components that I attach to your body and um, uh, taking a picture of the inside of your body and your physiology and how it responds when you lie. Uh, and, and, I mean, you can't deny it. And he, he sat there. And he didn't. And he didn't deny it when I told him he failed it. I said, I said you've got to tell me what happened, Chris. I said, you've got to tell me what happened, you know, uh, uh, so I can help you out. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, okay, Chris. You, I said, do you remember the Polaroid cameras when uh, you, the, you put the camera up, you take the picture, you push, push the button, the film comes out. He sit there and you wave it around for a second, you blow on it, and the picture comes up clear. He said, yeah, I remember those. I said, well, if I give you a Polaroid camera right now, and you take a, I say, take a picture of me. You take the picture. It comes out. You watch it come out. You blow on it. You, you, the picture comes clear. And you, if you were to look at it and give it to me, and I'm, I look at that picture and I say, Mm-mm, that's not me. I said, that's just as ridiculous as you telling me that you didn't kill Nelson Henson. I said, your body doesn't lie. Your physiology doesn't lie. And you can't cheat it and you can't beat it. I said, so 
you got you know tell me what happened and he looked at me and he paused for a second and he picked up his hands again and he put them together almost six inches from my face with where the the trust no one was staring me dead in the eyes that was tattooed across his knuckles i said okay chris you can put your arms down i said i get it i said you don't trust anyone i said but I don't get a gold medal for getting confession out of you. I don't get anything. I said, matter of fact, it's a Friday night. I'm not even supposed to be here. I said, I'm going to take my time with you and because I want to help you. I said, I don't believe you're a monster. I don't believe you're a bad guy. That I think that's, you know, you and Henson got into a fight and probably something happened and it was an accident and, and maybe he got hurt, something like that. And, and you, but you know what happened. I said, you have to tell me what happened and let me help you. You know, I said, I can be your go between, between those detectives out there, but you got to tell me what happened. And he looked at me for a minute and it was dead silent. I said, Chris, help me help you. And he said, he looked at me and he said, I killed him. He said, you're right, I killed him. I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, I, I don't remember. He said, I, I shoved him down on some cypress knees, and um, I killed him. And, y'all, cypress knees are, are, are stumps that stick up out of the ground that grow at the base of a cypress tree, and it's what allows those trees to grow into water. The knees are actually how the tree breathes and, and takes in whatever it needs to grow so that they're like sharp protruding uh stumps if you will uh, stumps with points on them and i said i said so chris you, you're telling me you killed him you're telling me you shoved him down some cypress knees i said but what happened then he said i don't remember i said okay I said, I mean, how can you not remember? I said, if if I shoved somebody down and I killed them, I certainly would remember. I said, you you got to tell me what happened to Nelson's body. I said, he's been missing for a week. I said, his family deserves closure. I said, I get it. You're in a fight. You didn't intend to kill him, but his family deserves closure, and you got to help me out. He said, Mr. Woody, I don't remember. And I said, all right. Um, and so I thought for a moment, and I said, well, you know what? I said, do you agree that I got the polygraph test right on you, that you showed deception indicated to those relevant questions? He said, absolutely, I agree. He said, I know I killed him. I know I killed him that night. <clears throat> he said, I don't know uh, where he is now. I said, okay. I said, well, what I would like to do is run another polygraph test on you. And it's a different type of test, Chris. I said, on this test, I want to ask you some questions, and I want to have you say no to every one of the questions. So no matter what the truthful answer is, in your mind, whether you remember it or not, I want you to say no. I said, so what I'm going to do is ask you different locations where his body could be, Nelson's body could be, and I want you to say no to each one of them. And he said, okay. So I, I reattached him to the instrument, and I made the questions up. And the first question was, did you bury Nelson Henson's body? The second question was, 
did you put Nelson's Henson Henson's body in water? And I asked that one because we're surrounded by water down here in the swamp, right? And third question I asked was, did you dismember Nelson Henson's body and distribute it in different places? And that was it. And so I, I asked him those questions on the test and I had him say no to each one. And he came back and he showed deception and indicated when he said no, that he did not put Nelson Henson's body in water. It, the polygraph test showed that he was lying or he showed deception and indicated to that question. So I stopped the test and I told him, I said, listen, it's just as obvious, just like it was that you killed him. It's just as obvious that to me that you're lying when you say that you did not put his body in water. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, you're right. He said, I did put him in water. He said, I remember taking his body and pushing it in the water. I pushed him face down and I actually watched him float away. I said, okay. I said, where did it happen? He said, I, I don't remember. Mr. Woody, I don't remember. So I, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you know what? This guy is not lying, it, at least that he knows of. Uh, uh, he's not straightforward lying to me, right? I, I believe he had some, at this point, I believe he had some type of mental issue. And so I told him, I said, listen. Chris, let's do another polygraph test. And this time, I'm going to ask you about different bodies of water around here that you could have put Nelson's body in. And I'm going to call the, 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 the areas of water out by name. And I want you to say no to every one of them, just like we did on the other tests. I don't care what the truthful answer is. I want you to say no. And he agreed. So I asked him... Um, started the polygraph test and I asked him, I said, did you put his body in Coyell Bay? And that's the, that's the bay that uh, is on one side of the uh, Bayview Tavern. And he said, no. And I asked him, did you put his body in the Amy river? That's the river that's on the other side of the bridge from the tavern. He said, no. I asked him, did you put his, his body in the blind river canal? And he said, no. I said, did you put his body in the diversion canal? And he said, no. And as an afterthought, when, it, when I was making the questions for the test, I was, you know, thought about uh, other bodies of water that were close to us. And I thought how he said he drove to New Orleans every day. And so in his driving to New Orleans, I knew he had to drive across the I-55 bridge in between Ponchatoula in Laplace, Louisiana, where I-55 meets Interstate 10 in Laplace, just outside of New Orleans. So I asked him, as an afterthought, I said, I asked him, I said, did you put his body in the water at Manshack? And he said no. At the end of the test, he showed deception indicated to putting Nelson Henson's body in the water at Manshack. So I told him, I said, I said, Chris, you put his body in the water by Manshack. 
and he stopped and he gave me that dead stare. He said, you know what, Mr. Woody, you're right. He said, I remember now. I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, I'll have to show you. Well, now it's, by this time, it's like one o'clock in the morning, right? On, uh, we've been testing for hours and in, in, in the interview. I said, you telling me that you can take me to where his body is right now? He said, yes. He said, it's off the 55 bridge. Now, the 55 bridge, when I say that, y'all, it, this is like a 20-mile long bridge between Ponchatoula and the Plaza. It's all raised over swamp and it's all water underneath there's two exits when you get on it from Ponchatoula, louisiana from the time the high-rise bridge starts to the exits in the plus there's only two exits that he could have taken and that is the manshack exit which is about halfway down and that's uh where the pass north pass runs in between lake marlpaw uh, on the right-hand side, which would have been closer to Bayview Tavern, and then Lake Pontchartrain, which is on the left-hand side uh, and sort of uh, borders New Orleans. He said, I can take you to it. And I said, all right. So I, I went and talked to Detective Bourgeois, and we shackled him up, handcuffed him up, put him in the back of one of our unmarked vehicles, and we make the drive. And it's a pretty significant drive. It's probably 30, 40 minutes from the uh from the sheriff's office to Manshack. And so we get to Manshack and he he's there and he hasn't said a word the whole time and when we get to Manshack I said, Okay, we you know, we're coming up on Manshack. He said, Keep going. So we passed Manshack. There's only one exit in between Manshack and Laplace, which is probably a stretch of about ten miles, and that's the Rudock exit. Spelled R U D D O C K. Now, the Rudock exit is famous for everybody in New Orleans that kills somebody that wants to dump a body. They drive to Rudock because off that exit, there's nothing. There's not a shack. There's not a street light. I don't even know why there's an exit there except for there's an old highway that runs uh, off of it. I mean, there's nothing there. People steal cars and take or take them out there and burn them or burn their cars out there for insurance reasons because there's they know there's no cops period i mean if you see a cop out there it's it's going to be a, a trooper that's working speeders on the, on the high-rise bridge so we keep going towards rudock and we're coming up on rudock i said i said chris we're coming up on rudock he said keep going now this night y'all it was cold and it was pitch black there wasn't it was cloudy it was uh, there wasn't a star in the sky and you there's no lights on this bridge you can't see anything if you turn off your vehicle headlights basically you're on top of the swamp and you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face right so uh we keep going and there's only like five miles left before laplace and i said chris i, I said where is it? he said keep going he said not yet he said i'm gonna tell you exactly where it is so we kept going and then he said okay start slowing down slow down slow down he said right here and and where we stopped was at the six mile marker okay the bridge from the beginning to end is every mile has a mile marker on it and the the six mile marker is in between root the rudock exit and the laplace exit and there's i mean it's probably it's probably a 40 foot drop from the top of that bridge 
to to the water to the swamp below and he said right here and so we stopped and we got him out and i put my arm through his arm because i'm thinking this guy's gonna jump off the bridge and commit suicide or something right i mean i but by this point i just you know the old cop senses in me i I know he's he's throwed off he's got some type of mental issue and so we get out it's pitch black and 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 I said, Chris, how can you tell me it was right here? He said, because I drove it every day to work. And on the way back and the way there, I would look to see if his body had popped up yet. He said, and I dumped him at the six, right here at the six mile marker. So I got on the phone uh, with my dispatcher and I had him call St. James Sheriff's Office. That That's, we're in a whole different parish now, right? Actually, we've gone through two parishes where well, you had to drive through Tangipo Parish into St. James Parish. Um, I said, call St. James and ask them, have they found a body here in the last week? And when they, they connected me through to St. James Dispatch, and I, and I asked the dispatcher, I said, hey, I'm Woody Overton, the detective who lives in the sheriff's office, and we're looking for a body out here. Um, we have a guy that confessed to dumping a body at the six-mile marker. Um, have you all found a body this week and she said she said yeah they pulled a body out at the 5.9 yesterday well that's a tenth of a mile from where chris was telling me he had dumped the body and with the the uh, those are tidal lakes and and swamps and the tide comes and goes and there's there's some current flowing through so highly probable right Uh, that that his body could have floated in a week's time could have floated or moved um a tenth of a mile. The dispatcher said that uh, a man from Mississippi that morning had been driving northbound towards Mississippi from Laplace, and he said he was looking over. The bridge is split. You have a northbound lane and a southbound lane, high-rise, and both of them uh, have two lanes each, right? So the bridge is split, and there the, you can see swamp in between and then swamp on both sides. And this man from Mississippi said he was driving north, and he was admiring the, the swamp scenery, looking down, and he saw what he thought at first must have been a floating sack of potatoes. And then he, he pulled over, and he looked down, and he realized it was a body. So he called his uh, St. James Sheriff's Office that he came out that day, that Friday, uh, uh, January, the, I think the 25th, in took the body out and I'm like and the the dispatcher told me she said look the autopsy is in the morning in Jefferson Parish at at the coroner's office I said sweet so uh, I put Chris back in the vehicle we take him to the jail um, and and Detective Bourgeois and him uh, put him back in a cell etc and I went to Jefferson Parish uh, with Detective Chuck Watts, and and for the autopsy the next morning it was at eight o'clock. Now we've been up all night. We get there, uh, and the reason Jefferson Parish Corner did the autopsy is because St. James was, uh, was such a small parish. They didn't do their own autopsies. They don't have the facilities, et cetera. So they all everybody that dies or murdered or suicide or what have you, anybody that an autopsy has to be done on one, they send them down to uh, Jefferson Parish, which is is part, actually kind of like part of New Orleans. It's, it's a big metro, metropolitan area. So we, 
we get there, we sign in, and we, we meet the uh, St. James detectives, and then we meet the the uh, forensic pathologist, the doctor. And so, we, you know, we suit up in the suits, and we go in, and there's the, the body black body bags on the table, and, and we're all masked up and everything, and I'm ready. And, and uh, each body bag is sealed. When they when they put the body in it, they seal it with a, a identification tag with a number on it, and it locks. And you have to cut that seal at the beginning of the autopsy. It maintains the chain of custody to evidence. It's, it, it's so a defense attorney can't come back later on and say somebody planted you know, DNA on the corpse or what have you. So anyway, they cut the 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 seal in the bag and they open it up and and this body had been in the water for for a while right and they open it up unzip it all the way down and i'll never forget it i'm, I'm looking at it and now nelson henson was a 33 year old white male and i'm looking at the body of like a five foot six hispanic male Definitely not Nelson Henson. And then they rolled him over. Uh, uh, the body is very badly decomposed, swollen. Um, and most people have to put uh, mentholatum under their nose before they go in on an autopsy on a floater like that. It, it never bothered me. I didn't have to do it because I always breathe through my mouth and the smell doesn't bother me. But it was bothering the St. James detectives and one of them was kind of gagging and I'm looking at it and the, uh, when they rolled him over, he had a barcode tattoo across the back of his neck. This Mexican male did. And so I took a picture of him, et cetera. And I said, look, y'all, this isn't my guy. This isn't who we're looking for. Uh, this isn't who my guy confessed to killing and dumping at the six mile marker. And I said, we're going to have to go back and talk to him and, and see what he says. So we drive back to Livingston and get him out, bring him back to my office. And I sat him down and said, Chris, I said, you know, we, um, we went, I told you they found a body at the five nine and I went to the autopsy this morning. And when they opened up the bag, um, kind of got a surprise and, and he kind of looked at me with a puzzled look on his face. And I had taken some pictures, digital, uh, photos and I had printed them out before, uh, Chris came into my office before they brought him from the jail. And so I laid out the pictures of, of the Mexican male in the body bag and you could still see the facial features, et cetera, but you definitely could see the barcode tattoo on the back of his neck. And I said, Chris, I said, who is this? And he looked at it for a split second. He said, Oh, he said, I killed him too. I said, all right. And, um, I said, Chris, I mean, what's his name? He said, I don't know his name. He said, but I killed him. And that's okay. I said, exactly how many people have you killed, Chris? And he, he looked at me with that blank look on his face and he said, I really don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, don't know what else to say here. I said, well, I mean, you know, where'd you kill him? And he went into the story how he killed him at another bar down in uh, Southern Livingston Parish, which he ended up changing that story later on and, and blaming uh, the Mexican male's death on Nelson Henson conveniently. So after that, the there were uh, Livingston Sheriff's Office and St. James, et cetera, conducted an exhaustive search of the area around the six mile marker. And 
uh, Nelson Henson's body was not found. It, it was found a week or two later by some fishermen uh, about a quarter of a mile from the Bayview Tavern in um where actually, uh, you know, where they had the fight. And when Chris said, I shoved him down on some cypress knees and, and I grabbed his body and I shoved him out in the water and I watched him float away. Evidently, he was he was actually talking about the spot right there at the Bayview. So fast forward, Chris Allen David Hunt was found not guilty um, in... I don't believe he was ever tried, even though he was charged for Mario Canessa's death out of St. James Parish. Again, that was Alvazari gone, working as a criminal investigator, too, for the Louisiana State Police by that time. So I didn't really keep up on uh, those cases anymore and what happened because I had so many current cases that I was working. But I thought the story was interesting, and I hope you enjoyed it. I guarantee it's the only time in my career that I ever had a bad guy not only confess to one murder— but two murders, but on a dark, cloudy night led me to the exact spot where uh, they pulled out another body they, just that morning, and I go to the... It's the only time I ever went to an autopsy in my police career where it was the wrong body and, and that a guy confessed to killing both of them, even though later on, like I said, he changed... Uh, Chris Hunt changed his story and blamed the, the death of Canessa, Mario Canessa, on Nelson Henson. He said Henson killed him, and he helped Henson dispose the body at the six-mile marker uh, um, off the I-55 bridge. But that's it. I well, hope you enjoyed this episode. And real quick, we're going to do our rating on the sphincter scale. And I, as you know, or you may not know, if you haven't gone to the website, there's a clip on the website, www w.reallife.realcrime.com it says sphincter scale and it explains the sphincter scale uh, where I rate the bad guys on a scale from one sphincter to ten sphincters one being somebody who pretty much shouldn't even be in trouble almost to ten being someone who deserves the death penalty I've given this one some thought and I really believe that uh, Chris Allen David Hunt is throwed off mentally. I believe he is, I don't know what type of disorder he has. It's certainly part psychotic, I would guess. So it doesn't excuse his actions, but I firmly believe he killed both of them in that. So I would give him an 8 out of 10 on the sphincter scale. He's definitely an asshole, and he's definitely a killer. That's it. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we really, really appreciate each and every one of y'all. And let us know what you think. Uh, send us a message. Let let me know what you think that Chris Allen, David Hunt should rate on the sphincter scale. Thank you. Until next time, we appreciate you. www.reallife.realcrime, and I'm your host, Woody Overton. Thank you for listening.